When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 27, and we are recording on Tuesday, May 3rd. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Holla, holla. Happy Tuesday. Indeed. <laughs> Tis. Tis. Tis Tuesday. <laughs> I have no other banter. <laughs> I got nothing. It's like my second nothing. day back from vacation, and I my brain... Vacation yeah. brain is real, y'all. <laughs> it is real. It is real. And it's like gray and rainy here. I don't know if it's that way there. Yeah, but it's disgusting here. My brain is slow. Okay, well, that's enough of that. <laughs> um, if this is your first time listening to this show, the we, it is a book recommendations podcast. So how it works is people send in questions, and we answer them. Very straightforward. Uh, you can ask us anything from what should I get for my uncle for Christmas, to what do I do when I finished A Little Life, to are there any other kids series aside from Harry Potter, like whatever book needs you have, send us your questions. We will do our best to answer them. You can send us questions via email. It's getbooked at bookriot.com. You can enter your questions into the form that's at the end of every post on the site for Get Booked. You can tweet questions. Well, you can't tweet questions to me and Meg because I'm on Twitter break, but you can tweet Mm -hmm. at Amanda, who is I'm Amanda Nelson. She's not allowed to take Twitter breaks, I don't think. (laughs) Not so much. (laughs) Not so much. Um, And if your request is time sensitive, please do your best to note it early on in the request because we get a lot of them and it's hard to skim sometimes. But we will do our best to answer them in as timely a fashion as possible. And uh, we're going to answer every question. So if we don't get to yours immediately, do not fret. All right. Shall we we do it? Let's do it to it. All right. Question one. This is from Brie. And Bree says, I'm searching for some books for my fiancé. I've recently gotten him started reading again via audiobook on his hour-long commutes. He says it's the first time he's enjoyed reading since junior high. So far, he's listened to As You Wish by Carrie Elwes, the Dirk Gently books by Douglas Adams, and he's currently in uh, three-quarters of the way through Ready Player One. Do you have any recommendations that include elements of horror, tech, sci-fi gaming, and or strategy, especially if they are good on audio? Bonus question! Humorous graphic novels. I gave him my copy of Chew, Volume 1, and he read it in one sitting, and I'd love to get him a book with similar vibes. Okay. Oh, let's uh, do our first sponsor, and yeah, then we'll yeah, let's do our first sponsor first. Okay, so our first sponsor is The Killing Forest by Sarah Bladel, who you may be familiar with, mm-hmm. as she is one of the most popular... She's literally the most popular author in Denmark, which is awesome. Cool. Um, right? That's such a cool thing to be able to say, like, <laughs> the most popular author in Denmark. And she's an international bestseller. Her previous book was The Forgotten Girls, and this is the next book in the Louise Rick uh, Police Investigator series. It involves, so Louise this time is investigating a case of of a missing 15-year-old, but this is one of those cases where it becomes tied into something from the past, which is one of my favorite mystery tropes, if I can editorialize for a second. <laughs> like, I love it when, like, the new case has something to do with, like, something long buried in the past. Like, that's that's a thing that I love. This is also a small-town mystery, which is a thing that I love. Uh, and it includes things like religious cults and former boyfriends and weird personal secrets and renewing friendships and all of these many things, so she's got a lot going on here. Uh, And uh, this is the eighth book, if you're not familiar uh, with the Louise Rick series, but if you feel like you need to catch up, there's actually a a special section on the website that has talking points uh, that can tell you more specifically about Louise Rick, who is our detective extraordinaire. So if you go to sarahbladel.com slash Louise, and the exact spelling will be in the show notes, obviously, you can find out more about the hero of our story, you can find more about The Killing Forest, and you can find more about the whole series. So that, thank you very much to The Killing Forest by Sarah Bladel. All right, so my first pick for a humorous, techie, strategy-based audiobook is obviously The Martian. <laughs> but I didn't Reed. even bother picking it because I knew you would. <laughs> yeah, like, duh. <laughs> like, duh. it's such a... Yes, anyway. Um, so The Martian, along with being a perfect fit for what you're asking for, is also the book that I recommend to people who don't like reading when they want a book to read. It's like, 
whatever, my Swiss Army recommendation, along with Ready Player One. So they pair nicely together. So if you don't know, which I'm sure you probably do because it's a movie now with Mount Damon and it's everywhere, um, but The Martian is about an astronaut who gets stranded on Mars. Um, his crew lands on Mars and they're doing their experiments or whatever and their explorations, and then a giant storm comes and he gets um, the main character, whose name I'm forgetting, but whatever. The main character gets blown away by the storm and his crew thinks that he's dead and the storm is, you know, big and dangerous and everyone's about to die. So they rush off into their spaceship and leave, leaving him for dead because they assume that he is dead. Alas, he is not dead. So he wakes up, stranded on Mars, all by himself, and has to figure out how to MacGyver um, their habitat, which is designed to only hold them for 30 days, I think, um, for two years, because that's how long it's going to take for the crew to return to Earth, get restocked or whatever, and then send a rescue mission back to Mars to get him. He also has to figure out how to contact NASA to inform them that he's still alive. Um, and all of this while he while being a botanist. So he's not like an engineer. He's not a scientist. I mean, he's not like a, um, whatever, a technical kind of scientist. He's a botanist. So, he, but, but he's also an astronaut. So obviously a genius. Anyway, um, the first line of this book is something like, well, I'm effed, but he says the actual <laughs> word. So laughing like from the get go. And of course on audio, it's hilarious. The character is funny. Um, so I always say like, if your favorite part of uh, Apollo 13, that movie is when the guys at NASA have to take all these random parts from the sh- the spaceship um, and, like, put it together to make a carbon scrubber. Do you remember that part of the movie? Uh, like, the astronauts are dying. Of, yeah, 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 yeah. They're like, okay, we have, you know, like, a shoestring. Yeah, duct tape. And, this, and this, some saran wrap. Yeah, this right. PVC pipe. And you have right. to make an air filter. Go! And they figure uh-huh. it out. So that was my favorite part of the movie. So if that's your favorite part of the movie, that strategy-based, problem-solving, wall-cursing kind of thing, then The Martian <laughs> is uh, a great pick for audio. Excellent. Okay, so my pick for audiobook is The Regional Office is Under Attack. I love saying that title because it's got an exclamation mark at the end by Manuel Gonzalez. Uh, I've been recommending this a lot because it's super good. Um, it is very funny. It's the two main characters. Well, the the initial main character, Rose, is a teenage super assassin, because, of course, and uh, she is involved in a sort of mutiny slash uprising to take over and bring down the regional office, which is an organization that trains young, talented young women, quote unquote, talented young women <laughs> to access their superpowers and then fight the forces of darkness. But there's been a plot inside of the office because they believe that perhaps the people in charge are not as good as they should be. So Rose is like in, she's like in a air duct for a big chunk of the first part of the book, trying to get to the spot where she's supposed to be. And there's booby traps and there's fights. And she's so wry and funny. I really loved her voice. And then the story switches to Sarah, who is on the side of the original, you know, bosses of the regional office um, and what happens to her during this mutiny takeover. And then, uh, you know, how everything pans out. And it's a really action-packed, you mentioned you wanted like a page turner, like this is a super action-packed. There's fights all over the place and there's there's also some really good background storytelling like you get a few flashbacks kind of tell you like how everybody got to this place which I love Um, but they're handled really well and the audiobook I checked it's a cast recording so I always think that's really interesting when you get like when you're having multiple perspectives and then you get actual different people narrating those perspectives so that is the regional office is under attack by Manuel Gonzalez Okay, so for my graphic novel question, I picked Lady Killer, Volume 1, obviously, by Joelle Jones and Jamie S. Rich. And um, you said he loved Chew, and Chew is, like, gross. <laughs> gross funny. And, so gross. Yeah, and Lady Killer is also pretty gross. It's really graphically violent, but it's so great. Um, so I've heard it described as uh, Mad Men Betty Draper meets Hannibal, which I feel like is a pretty accurate description. Uh, the main character's name is Josie. She's... Uh, like a housewife in the early 60s, like late 50s, kind of mid-century America. She's got kids and a husband and she cooks and she cleans in that beta draper kind of dress and all that kind of stuff. But she's also a super efficient assassin for hire. (laughs) And um, so in volume one, which collects the first five issues of the comic, um, she gets kind of like double-crossed by her agency and people come after her and she has to defend herself while at the same time, you know, carrying out her missions uh, and 
hiding what she is from her family. So there's these really hilarious like juxtapositions of Josie mopping and like Josie making meatloaf and then Josie cutting someone's jugular and Josie decapitating a person. And it's like just totally gross and weird and funny. It's so funny. And you feel kind of weird about the stuff that makes you laugh in this. But the art is really great. And the um, the visuals are uh, whatever. I just like laughed out loud while reading it in public, which is maybe a little <laughs> awkward, but it's hilarious. So that's a lady killer. Betty Draper meets Animal. Yes. Joelle Jones and Jamie S. Rich. Swapna was talking about that comic on the last show, too. I feel like oh, I really need to read it now. It's so great. <laughs> you guys have very much sold it. Um, okay, so my graphic novel pick for you is Sex Criminals by Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky. Um, this, this, it's like I'm going to try to keep this, like, G-rated, because this is a clean <laughs> show. Um, but so Sex Criminals Volume 1 is called One Weird Trick, and it's about Susie and John, and... They discover that they both have the same weird superpower, which is that during sex, they can stop time. And instead of, like, saving the world, they decide to rob a bank. Because, let's be real, if you discovered you had the power to stop time, like, you probably wouldn't immediately, I don't know, a lot of people would not necessarily become a super do-gooder at first. Like, there's other stuff, you know, there's student loans to pay off, mm. and houses being repossessed, and like... But they do have a good terrible. reason, right? Like, they have a yeah, they do have a good reason. I don't want to, like, spoil yeah, yeah, it, yeah. but they have a good reason. They have a good reason to run. Well, mm-hmm. good is, like, maybe an overstatement. There is a reason. <laughs> let's go with a reason. But the reason I'm recommending this is because Matt and Chip are both super funny. Um, The art is really fun to look at, and it's not exploitative in any way. Like, it's a book called Sex Criminals, so you might have, like, some eyebrow action going on here. But it's, it's very sex positive in, like, a very nice way. Like, I did not feel... I mean, it's going to make you uncomfortable. I do not recommend reading it in public because it is graphic, but it's not, like, graphic in an exploitative way, I guess is the best way I can say it. Uh, So, and, I mean, again, like, it's a dark kind of humor. It's a very, like, twisted story. Um, But it's also really genuinely funny and heartfelt, and you really get attached to the characters. Uh, I thought Susie was just so great. Uh, So I am recommending you that one. Hopefully that's not too weird. I don't know. Maybe it is. Uh, But anyway, that is Sex Criminals Volume one which is one weird trick and that's by matt fraction and chip sadarsky all right okay it me next question uh so this question is from Erin. three of my friends and i are heading out for a week-long backpacking trip in yosemite this summer we're in from some grueling sore days and we thought it would be nice to reward ourselves each evening by reading aloud to each other I'm trying to come up with a perfect thing or things to read. I was thinking that short stories or essays would be easiest, but I'm definitely open to other options. I've known our group to mostly read literary fiction, historical fiction, nonfiction, and memoir. Uh, Oh, the only non-negotiable is that it must be available for Kindle or as an e-version that I can put on my Kindle. So, let's see. And then a tie into nature slash wildlife slash the outdoors might be nice, but isn't required. Okay. So, my first pick for this is Gold Fame Citrus by Claire Vay Watkins, which I just read with a, a two-person book group that I have. Um, <laughs> and we've been reading mostly nature-focused books. So this was, like, perfect timing for this question for me. It takes place in Southern California of the near future in which things are just, like, like, the economy has collapsed, the climate is changing, and things are just not great. Like, it's not, like, you know, Mad Max-style dystopia, <laughs> but it's definitely, like, things are not great and things are weird. So the main character, Luz, used to be a model so she's got a ton of money and she and her boyfriend Ray who's an army deserter uh, are squatting in an abandoned mansion like up in the canyons uh, outside of Los Angeles they you know have taken over this starlet's home because the starlet has presumably moved on to a place where there's like actual running water and stuff um and so she's, like, kind of playing dress-up, and Ray is making a half-pipe in the backyard, and, like, they have enough money to still buy food, which is getting more and more expensive, and they have, you know, they're okay, they're doing fine, um, but life is not, like, amazing, they're just kind of drifting, like, they're just whiling away their days in this weird, like, world where it's hot, and not everything is available anymore, and they don't really know what to do with their lives, because there's no jobs, and anyway, they go down to this, like, drum circle festival thing, and end up 
kidnapping a baby? <laughs> um, like you do. There's this baby who is clearly not being looked after. And the group that she's with gives everybody the heebie-jeebies. And they end up taking the child with them when they leave the festival. And so now they have a baby. And so they sort of have this, like, realization that they can't just keep kind of whiling away their days. So they set out on a road trip to find a place where they can actually live a good life. Like, maybe with greenery and other people and a real sense of community and, you know, reliable food sources. <laughs> um, and... This doesn't work out that well. Uh, <laughs> and so the book um, does an amazing job. Like, there's sections where she's talking about, like, these future weather patterns and how the climate has changed that I thought were beautifully written. Like, her descriptions of the Mojave Desert in particular are just amazing. And her vision of, like, how people would talk about things in the future and how they would, you know scorn other people or who blames what group for what happened it felt so correct like I was like yes I can see this happening um it's kind of a quiet book there's not a ton of action until you get towards the end the other reason I thought it might be a good read aloud is because there are sections that are either interviews or like sort of narratives um sort of not quite great chorus but getting there and so those would be really interesting to do aloud and I think the book has a nice flow at overall so it would make a good read aloud and it's super naturey and you will be delighted not to live in that nature <laughs> so that is gold flame gold fame citrus by Claire Vay Watkins I love her She's pretty good, huh? Yeah. This is the first book I've read by her. I didn't read Battleborn, but I wanted to. But th this is the one that I read. Uh, Battleborn is her collection of short stories that came out a couple years ago. I love it. Okay, um, so my first pick is Constance May Have Shifted by Pam Houston. And Pam Houston exists in this, like, trifecta of Annie Dillard, Pam Houston, Terry Tempest Williams that exists yes. in my head for some reason. <laughs> um, yep, yep. But, like women write about the outdoors sitting around meditating kind of thing is is what that is in my brain. Um, so Contents May Have Shifted is a collection of, <clears throat> well, it's called a novel, but it's not. And it's kind of a collection of short stories, but it's not. And it's fiction, but it's totally not. So it's really unclassifiable. It's, <laughs> I, it's a collection of 144 short, super short chapters that are kind of linked short stories. But the main character is stuck in like a really bad dead end relationship and she's getting restless. She's wander lusty. And so she just leaves. And every, I think all, but I think uh, a handful of the chapters are a di different place that she's traveling to get away from her life. So she goes to Alaska. She goes to Tibet. She goes to Bhutan. She goes to, um, I don't remember, like Montana, just everywhere. And a lot of the chapters are Outdoorsy. So she goes to Alaska to like a, a hunting lodge and sees moose and stuff like that. Um, she go when she's in Bhutan or no, when she's in Tibet, uh, she climbs mountains to attend air funerals or sky funerals. I don't remember what they're called. Oh yeah, sky burials. Yes, yeah, sky burials where um, people feed the dead to the vultures that live up high up in the Himalayan mountains, and it's just really fascinating. So I think that um, because the chapters are so short, when you're hiking and are exhausted at the end of your day, then I think they would you know fit in really well. But they're also naturey and travelly, but not necessarily about like. I, it doesn't say if you're in the U.S., but they're, you know, she doesn't just stay in places that might sound familiar to Western readers. She goes everywhere, all over the world. And so you get a taste of that kind of outdoorsy life of, you know, places that maybe you've never been or have never even thought of going. And it's really fascinating. And eventually she does settle down near the end of the book. So maybe like while you're you're finishing up your trip and about to head home, it might correspond nicely. So that's Contents May Have Shifted by Pam Houston. All right, my second pick is an essay collection by David Quammen, who's one of my favorite science and nature writers. He, in like the 80s, got a column for Outside Magazine where he could write about anything in the natural world, which is like, what a dream. Mm -hmm. um, and he's an amazing writer, so he did really good things with it. And the Boilerplate Rhino collection assembles 26 of those essays from the column, um, and they're not in any of his other books. He's got a bunch of books. He, he also wrote one of my favorite disease books. As we know, I have a disease thing. Um, but anyway, this is not about diseases. This is about all kinds of different things. Like he goes to Texas to talk to rattlesnake snake handlers, or he goes to the dinosaur museum in Montana. And then he goes to Indonesia to find the perfect durian fruit, which is one of those fruits that like everybody loves to talk about because apparently it smells like Ooh, yeah. rotting. Yeah, it's like smells like it's rotting, but it tastes amazing. And that's weird because taste is part smell. And anyway, <laughs> and he talks about, you know, by 
bioluminescent beetles and like just he goes everywhere and looks into everything and is really good at writing about it in a way that's engaging like it's got personal touches but he's got the science in there it's just such a great collection I read this several times over when I was in late college like early post-college because it just made me feel like I had been places and knew things now. It's one of those did-you-know books that you can be like, and did you also know that blah, 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 blah about lizards and their, you know, miles per hour speed because there's racing lizards in one part (laughs) of this book. Uh, So I think it would be really entertaining and really fun. That is The Boilerplate Rhino by David Quammen. Okay, so unsurprisingly, my second pick for you is Pilgrim <laughs> at Tika Creek by Annie Dillon. Co-signed, co-signed. Um, so, yeah, because my trifecta. And you already mentioned Terry Tempest Williams, so I would have brought that up, too, uh, in your question. So Pilgrim at Tika Creek is a meditation on nature and seasons and living outdoors, and it's memoir-ish. Um, so she has a cottage in Tinker Creek, Virginia, and I live in Virginia, so this is like a special place in my heart. And the book takes place over a summer when she, uh, oh no, over, it's not just a summer. Is it? My, maybe my brain just like latched onto the summer. Is it a year? I think is it's it, a year, yeah. Is it one year? <clears throat> I think it's one year. So, um, her cottage or little house is on this creek in the middle of, I think it's in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, and, uh, so it's out in the country, middle of nowhere kind of a thing. She doesn't have neighbors that are super close by. And she kind of just goes for walks. And the book is just about her, like, going for walks and sitting around meditating on the stuff that she sees. So there's, like, an entire chapter on how she stalks muskrats that live in her creek um, and how she sits still for hours waiting for them to show up. And there's a meditation on watching a mosquito suck the blood of a rattlesnake, which is terrifying to me on so many levels. Um, But she sat still for so long on this rock that a rattlesnake moseyed up and hung out with her, and then she watched a mosquito. It's just, like, people who can be near snakes, I just am so amazed by their abilities. There's so much, like... She sat still. The ability to sit still that long is beyond yeah. me. And then also the ability to sit, that, sit still that long in the presence of a rattlesnake. Like, what? No, and I then know. the mosquito <laughs> thing is so yucky. <laughs> She's great. I love her. It's, it's just um, amazing. And I don't understand. Anyway, um, so there's a chapter about like analyzing the pond water from her backyard in a microscope. It's just really, she gets down into these super detailed aspects of living a kind of rural sort of life or even just going out and visiting that kind of rural life and what silence does to you and what meditation does to you and how living in nature changes the way that you think and what you can or can't appreciate. And if I remember correctly, the chapters in this one are also kind of short. So I think it would work out for reading out loud. And her, her sentences are just really nice. They sing, you know, and I think it. Um, so reading it, reading them out loud would probably work out. So, um, yeah, so that's Pilgrim at Tinker Creek by Annie Diller. This is a classic. I'm pretty sure it won. Uh, it's won tons of awards, like the yeah. Pulitzer. So there you go. <laughs> I feel like that book needs to come with a, like, don't try this at home. Don't. Morning, Stop like, muskrats, because who knows what will happen to you. Well, yeah, don't, like, sit next to rattlesnakes. Mm-hmm. Like, just don't. Please don't. Yeah. Or at least don't tell me about it, because I don't, right. don't want to know. Okay. <laughs> don't say they mm-hmm. get booked told you to. Yuck. All right. So question three, this is from Josh. Um, I'm currently a college student preparing a trip to Europe this summer. I have about three weeks and I'm busting around visiting many cities, London, Paris, Amsterdam, Vienna, etc. And I'm looking for books of any kind that might give me a better understanding of the places I'm going to visit. By this, I don't mean kitschy travel books. I'm thinking something in the vein of Hemingway's A Movable Feast or Mark Twain's A Tramp Abroad, both of which I picked up at a bookstore today. This could be fiction that takes place in these cities, nonfiction, travel writing about the cities, travel writing in general. Anything works. And that, again, is from Josh. So I'll go ahead and talk because I'm already talking. So the two books that I have from you are actually from our our final quarterly box, which was travel-themed. And so the two books that came in it were uh, super relevant to your question. So I'm just going to talk about those. Uh, The first one is An African in Greenland, and it's by – I've never said this out loud. Okay, Tete Michelle Pomasi, I think, K-P-O-M-A-S-S-I-E. So it'll be in the show notes. And it's translated by James Kirkup. And this is so interesting. It's from – the New York Review of Books, which is a great little press, not little, a great press. It's not a little press. Um, and this is a memoir of a man who, when he was a kid, got bit by a snake, and then he kind of stumbles across 
a um, travel guide to Greenland and realizes that there are no snakes in Greenland and decides he's going to go there. And so he starts walking. And it's uh, the decade that it takes him to walk from his home in Africa to Greenland. And then he hangs out there for a while and writes about, you know, living among the Inuit populations of that country and uh, the kind of foibles of living in Greenland. And the places that... And he walks through, obviously, like a lot of... um, really interesting places on his way to Greenland. And so you said, you, I don't know if you're walking or not. You said you were bussing around. So I, I don't know if you mean that literally, but um, since you're spending such a long time kind of going from place to place in Europe, I thought, you know, the the experience of another person spending like a super long time, like 10 years doing that exact same thing would be kind of interesting, even if they're not, even if he doesn't necessarily hit the cities that you're going to. So um, that's an African in Greenland by Tete Michelle Pomasi. It's a weird number of snakes in today's So episode. many snakes. Why are there so many snakes? <laughs> <laughs> All right. My first pick for you is Murder in the Marais, which is the first in the Amy LeDuc investigation series, which is from Soho Press's International Crime series, like so many series levels here. Um, anyway, it's by Kara Black, and she has written this whole series. There's tons of books in this series um, that all take place in Paris. So each book is like in a different neighborhood or section of Paris. So this first one, which we read for my mystery book group, which was great, um, we had a really interesting discussion, takes place obviously in the Marais. And uh, Amy is, she's like a tech investigator. She does, you know, like, you know, computer investigation. She's not like a gumshoe. She doesn't go out and like, you know, look for clues. Like everything she does, generally speaking, is technological. Um, And her father was a police detective and he was killed in the line of duty. So she has no real desire to like be an out in the world detective. However, a elderly Jewish man approaches her with a very like confidential decoding job on behalf of a woman in his synagogue, and she ends up getting sucked into this case, which pulls her out from behind her computer and into the case itself. Um, and and like she she doesn't just like go looking for clues, like she like puts on costumes and like gets in with a horrible organization and fake identities, and like it gets really intense. Uh, there's you know guns and car chases and the whole night yards. Um, And it's interesting to see sort of a reluctant woman in that role, because most detective, especially procedural detective novels are like, you know, the veteran hardened dude Mm -hmm. who drinks his, you know, gin gimlets and (laughs) has no like problems pulling out a gun. And Amy is just so, she's so brash and interesting to watch. And she's clearly very smart because she's like a hacker, you know, type investigator. Um, And so the way that she approaches these things is, I think, very different from the way most mysteries would. Um, And the case is really intense and dark, like trigger warning. If you have trouble with Holocaust stories, this is one of them. Uh, Everything goes back to this, like, time when Paris was occupied and, you know, the things that happened to uh, the Jewish residents of Paris at that time. And so, uh, but it's a really interesting mystery, and it really does give you a sense of Paris. Like, she, Cara Black takes a lot of care to build up the neighborhood around you as Amy is going on this, you know, journey of discovery. And so uh, I feel like it would be really, like, I wish I could go and see the quarter and, like, understand, you know, which street she was walking down at this one part in the book. So I think that would be really fun and interesting. And also, it's just a great mystery. So that is Murder in the Marais by Cara Black. Okay, so my second pick for you is uh, Alibis, Essays on Elsewhere by Andre Asiman. And the uh, jacket copy describes this as linked essays about time, place, identity, and art. And that is wrapped up in his travels. So he goes to Barcelona, Paris, Rome, uh, visits Tuscany. There's some stuff in there about New York. Uh, but it's not just like, here are things to do while you are in these places. It's it's meditations on... Um, the kind of person that you become in those places and the art of those places and that kind of thing. So like there's a, there, the first uh, essay is about lavender and just the smells that lavender can, uh, or how the smell of lavender makes you remember certain, or makes him remember certain things. There's um, an essay about New York, the buildings in New York city. And there's an essay about empty rooms and lots of, you know, 
things and like the how time passes in Rome and how that's different from and how it's different from how it passes everywhere else. So if you're looking for something that's less do these things, visit these places while you're here and is more like about the the deep soul work kind of stuff that happens when you're traveling, uh, then this is uh, more appropriate for that. And it is uh, an award winner. It won the Whiting. So that's uh, Alibis, Essays on Elsewhere by Andre Esseman. All right. All right. My second pick is a little bit uh, on the left field side. I hope I don't know if you're up for a challenge or not, but <laughs> if you are, this book is really crazy and interesting. It's called Zone by Matthias Ennard, and it's translated by Charlotte Mandel. And the whole thing, the punctuation in this book, it's basically all commas. There's no, it's all kind of one giant sentence, but the book is 500 pages long. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's why I say it's a bit of a challenge. Basically, the concept of the book is that... This guy, uh, Francis Merkovich, who is a French-born Croat who's been working for the French intelligence for a really long time, is traveling from by train from Milan to Rome. And he's got a briefcase that he's, you know, going to sell the contents. And it's all of this history about um, Mediterranean Basin and Lebanon and Italy. And, you know, he's I mean, it's intelligence. He's been working for French intelligence. Now he's going to sell off his info and, like, disappear and retire and whatever. And um, he's on a train. And he's just thinking about his life and, like, all of the messed up things that have happened to him and, like, things that he he's done because he was a soldier during the Balkan Wars. Um, and, like, the ways that his life has just been, like, one tragedy after another. And he's trying to, like, this is his last-ditch attempt to, like, salvage his life um, and find the woman that he loves and, you know, make something of himself. And it's a really oddly hypnotic sort of pacing because it feels almost like you're on a train. Like, if you have experience this where you're on a train and you're just like thinking and you know the rhythm of the train like gets into the rhythm of your thoughts that's the way this book reads so I think it's a really interesting read it is not an easy one but I think it's worth it um this was published by Open Letter a while back, and uh, I just think it's such an interesting book. Um, and it is like a very odd and interesting travel slash history novel. So that is Zone by Matthias Ennard. Cool. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay, it's me. <laughs> uh, question four is from Jerome Wireman, which is not his real name. It's a Stephen King character. Uh, I love it when people use pseudonyms. Okay, so this question <clears throat> is, my cousin was incarcerated two years ago for a five-year term. I have recently been writing him and would like to send him something to read. I don't want to send him How to Fix Your Life books, but I would like to send him something that would expand his thoughts on the world. Nothing too complicated, but an accessible book with a point. So before we answer this question, I just want to say that mm. if you're sending books to prison every prison has different rules so make sure that you know how what is allowed and where the books have to come from like some prisons don't allow hardcover books mm -hmm. some you have to send them directly from a retailer like there's all these rules about how you can send them so make sure that you know before you send anything because it might not get to them yeah uh, i've been talking a lot amanda you go first okay um so this was super hard for me and I kept feeling like everything I was picking was a, was too like on the I don't know was wrong so I put it up to the the contributors and asked them what they thought and I got two recommendations from Liberty who's our you know resident velocirator who does all the books podcast with Rebecca um, and is a former bookseller and is super great at readers advisory and so the books that she recommended I went with those because she knows all and is all-seeing and all-knowing. True uh, fact. Yeah. Um, so her first recommendation was Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert M. Persing. And I have not read this, but Liberty says that it's great, so I trust her in all things. Um, and this is like a... I, I'm, you might be familiar with this. I, know, I mean, everybody knows this title. Um, but it's a philosophy, meditation, memoir thing um, where the author takes a, a cross-country or across-the-west kind of motorcycle trip with his son and some of his friends. And he uses the motorcycle and the active uh, stuff that's happening while he's on the trip, like, you know, climbing mountains and things like that, to talk about philosophy. So issues of, like, rhetoric and quality of life and the scientific method and stuff like that. But since he's telling it through these analogies of, like, mechanics, like actual mechanics of working on a bike kind of stuff, it makes it a little bit more accessible. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that sounds pretty appropriate, but having not read it, I don't know. Um, I mean, it's, I think that's a good one. Yeah. We used to give that to people, with, like somebody would come into the bookstore when I was working at the bookstore and be like, I need a book for somebody that's like accessible, but has a point and, um, and also is about like doing things, but maybe also has some intellectual stuff in it. Like it's a very 
cross sort yeah. of genre book. Like it hits a lot of different um, checkboxes, I guess. And I really I'm feel saying. like that a, a book that is talking about these kind of you know brainy sort of concepts using uh, and using an analogy of like stuff with working with your hands that always mm-hmm. works better for me. I'm really not great at like lofty, weird philosophical conceptualizing. But if you tell me that it like, it's kind of like making a grilled cheese sandwich, I'll be like, Oh <laughs> yes. I never thought about existentialism <laughs> a la grilled cheese before, but it makes so much sense. Now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance by Robert Persing. All right, my first pick for this is, it's not going to work if your prisons won't take hardcovers, but I think it's a very worthwhile book to read, especially because if you are in the prison system, you should know a little bit more about it. Um, This book came out recently. It's called Incarceration Nations, A Journey to Justice in Prisons Around the World by Baz Dreisinger. Uh, Dreisinger is a journalist and a professor, and she founded the Prison to College Pipeline, which takes inmates and makes sure that they get started on a college education while they're still in prison, and then when they are released, they're already part of a program and can work towards getting their college degree. Uh, So she is obviously very involved in the, you know, dealing with the incarceration system and and prisons. And she decides to go to eight different countries and discover how they handle prisoners, how they handle the concept of justice. And that's what I think is most interesting about this book is that it's not about crime and like punishment specifically. What it's about is like, what is the concept of justice that we're working from? Like, what is it that we think we're doing when we incarcerate people? How do other countries handle that? And like, what could be the best practice? Because obviously this is a huge problem. Like, however you end up in jail, there are so many problems with our prison systems uh, and they need to be addressed. So this is a fascinating look and it's so well written she I think it's because she's a journalist as well she makes it very narratively interesting like she's talking about her experiences of going to like South Africa or Singapore or Thailand or Norway and you know she's telling you stories about the people she meets and then when she goes into the prisons the inmates and the you know staff that she meets and the different programs that she's working with and it's it's like the science is there the analysis is there the facts are there but there's also a lot of good personal touches to it so it's a really Actually, I think I read almost the whole thing on a plane trip. Like, it's like 300 pages. It reads real fast, and it's really fascinating. So that is Incarceration Nations by Baz Dreisinger. And she will be at Book Riot Live. Just going to throw in a pitch there. Hey, all right. (laughs) So that's cool. Okay. Okay. Um, So my second pick, well, Liberty is the second pick for you, which I am relaying, is Shop Class as Soulcraft, an Inquiry into the Value of Work. And this is by Matthew Crawford, Matthew B. Crawford. Um, this is also a memoir, and it is about the experience of working with your hands and fixing things with your hands. And so he's talking about how people who sit in an office and do, like, quote-unquote, knowledge work are lacking a connection to the material kind of world. And so he is um, not not bad-mouthing, that's not the way to put it, but is talking about kind of the the negatives that can come with being a person who works in a cubicle, who never goes outside, who never does anything with their hands, and how the partition, um, which, you know, started 100 years ago with, like, assembly line workers, kind of degrades both people who do knowledge work because you're not, uh, you're missing this part of, of your life and, and that experience of doing and working and fixing things with your hands, but it also degrades the work of people who work in manual trades um, because since they're, they're, it's just like we look down on them more as we move more into like a knowledge working sort of society. So Crawford himself is an electrician and also a mechanic, um, and so he has a lot of experiences with the satisfaction and sort of challenges that come with manual work. And he's talking a lot in this book about how um, the things that people think that they're getting from from knowledge work or like technological work, uh, cubicle desk work kind of stuff, you also can get working manual labor. So things like intellectual satisfaction, satisfaction from completing projects, um, problem solving, creativity, all the kind of stuff that people who work in like well, I guess like jobs like what I do at a computer all day long, um, you can and do also get uh, when you work like a fulfilling job uh, in uh, the manual um, jobs. That's I just said job like four times. Anyway, so that's shop. It's like blue collar versus white collar. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, bringing bridging that divide. Mm-hmm. So that's shop class as soulcraft by Matthew Crawford. 
My second pick is an essay collection that I just adore. It's called Let Me Clear My Throat by Elena Passarello. And it's it's a, a bunch of different essays about voice. <laughs> so she is a, an actor and a writer. And uh, she, she, you can actually find YouTube footage of this. She once won the Stella contest that they have in, is it New Orleans that they have? Like there's a contest that's part of some festival every year. I think it's New Orleans. Where you like stand on a balcony in a theater and scream Stella from like streetcar named Desire <laughs> yes. and somebody wins and she won one year and I've actually I did hunt up the footage um, and so she's she's talking about all of these different things that are related to voice so she's like talking about um, opera singers or she's talking about the um, the rebel yell right the mm-hmm. mysterious rebel yell nobody knows what it actually was and so she goes and interviews all these people and like speculates about like what the yell actually consists of um, there's also she's talking about like there's this uh it's called the wilhelm scream Mm -hmm. which is a sound bite that has been used in so many movies and once you know about it you start to hear it yourself like i've started to be able to identify it in random movies like it's literally just the sound of somebody screaming but they use it in star wars they use it in all these different movies um and it's just a fascinating look at different aspects of how we talk and the things we say and music and how sound works and how voice works i just thought it was fascinating it's a really interesting like knowledgeable but fun research into different kinds of spoken things so that is let me clear my throat by elena passarello i'm gonna have that song stuck in my head all day now <laughs> let me clear my throat i'm not gonna sing on this podcast. i will spare everyone wait that. i didn't even realize there was an actual song with that <laughs> yeah. i have to go looking for it now um Okay, so before we get to question five, we're going to do our second sponsor, which is Girl at Midnight by Melissa Gray and the upcoming sequel, The Shadow Hour, which comes out in July. So keep an eye out for that. Also by Melissa Gray, obviously. So this is YA Fantasy, and The Girl at Midnight follows um, a girl named Echo who lives in the kind of like under the streets of New York City. And she's a pickpocket and a runaway and generally, you know, an independent kind of troublemaker and in this world she is shacking up with this mythological race of beings that have like feathers for hair and they're magical and um they are so magical that they have kind of spelled themselves into being into keeping themselves a secret from human beings so humans don't know about their existence except obviously for echo who lives with them um and then a centuries-old war breaks out along her home and she echo decides that she's going to use her skills and talents to uh, in like getting what she wants at, at all costs as a pickpocket and a thief into saving the day and bringing peace to her family and her world means finding the mythological firebird which is um, obviously a creature with like more power than uh, anyone can imagine on earth so she's going to go out and she's going to find it and she's going to save the day um, so that's the girl at midnight which came out i think last year and then the sequel follows echo after oh no i'm not going to give you a bunch of spoilers but after she her her journey into finding the firebird you find out what happens next with her family and her life and her um her kind of identity so that's the girl at midnight by melissa gray the sequel the shadow hour comes out in july and if you are um into like daughter smoke and bone or six of crows uh lee bardugo's book shadow and bone any of those uh fantasy ya novels and this is probably going to be right up your alley it's also really great for um if you like cassandra Clare's books so check out the girl at midnight and thank you for sponsoring the show okay question five it me. All right. This is from Ruben. <laughs> um, Ruben says, I love the show Empire and wanted to know if you have any recommendations for books with a lot of drama and characters, characters like Cookie who have no filter. Another request is if you could recommend queer horror. This request is inspired by the Portlandia sketch where the women in the bookstore tell their intern to stop alphabetizing the books because kids that come in won't be able to find the queer horror. So Please send me all your requests from Portlandia. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so that is from Ruben. And I'm going to stop talking now. Okay. <laughs> so um, I, I will say that my pick for the Lots of Drama No Filter book, it's not quite as extreme as Empire. I, I think it's like hard to find <laughs> that level of crazy. Um, awesome. Crazy, obviously. Uh, but I, I tried. So my first pick for you is Bright Lines by Thani Nandini Islam, which is a D- novel that came out mm, last year and um, it's set both in Brooklyn and Bangladesh and it follows three young women and their family as they're trying to figure out a bunch of stuff so the reason I picked this is because there's like 
sex and there's drugs and there's family secrets and there's like crazy stuff that happens and some people die and it's really sad. Um, and a few of the characters are really like take noble, like gonna say what they feel like consequences be damned. And then the other ones are like, how am I going to deal with this person? So that reminded me a little bit of what you're talking about in terms of cookie and empire. Um, so the main one of the main characters, Ella, uh, ha, was orphaned as a child and has been living with her extended family, her uncle, uh, and they have a daughter of their own named Charu, and who are like complete opposites. They're just like Ella is very shy and retiring, and Charu like knows what she wants, is very confident. Um, and the summer in the summer that this book takes place, Ella comes home from college, and there one of Maya's friends is sleeping in the bedroom. She's uh, an Islamic cleric's runaway daughter, and so the girls are like trying to have sort of a between college summer um but things are very complicated mm -hmm. and then Anwar the sort of patriarch of the family is having his own sort of midlife crisis um and everything kind of unravels from there uh it's really good I love multi-generational dramas I love the peek into the lives of people that this book offers um the switch from Brooklyn to Bangladesh is really well done both uh sort of neighborhoods are really beautifully rendered um, and the characters are just so believable they're so well-rounded they're so interesting so that is Bright Lines by Tani Nandini Islam okay so I went lots of drama and took it as far <laughs> I love your pick too <laughs> as far into the drama as I possibly could so my first pick for you is Out by Natsuo Carino and it's translated by uh, Steven Snyder and this book y'all I just Okay, well, I got to gather myself. It's so <laughs> weird. For real. Okay, so this is about a group of women, friends, who, well, co-workers, who work at a factory in the night shift making boxed lunches in the, uh, the suburbs of Tokyo. They each have their own kind of problems. One of them is uh, stuck with uh, living with her child, her child who completely disrespects her and dealing with her mother-in-law who is elderly and ailing. Um, they're all poor. One of them is in the, like a loveless marriage with kind of a, an abusive husband who's a deadbeat. Anyway, so they all have their issues, all, most of which are tied up with uh, the expectations placed on women and deadbeat dudes. Um, so... In this situation, night shift, making box lunches, lives that are grinding them down, one of the women, who is a young mother, strangles her husband to death <laughs> and comes to her co-workers, one, one of her co-workers, asking for help getting rid of the body. And the ringleader, essentially, Masako, helps her. She helps her chop the body up in her bathroom and dispose of it. And they bring in two other... Um, women who work in this factory to help them do that. So I guess the, I think it's four, three or four, uh, the four of them dispose of this body and then kind of get in the business of disposing of bodies for money because they are all, you know, skating the poverty line. One of them is really deeply in debt and her boyfriend runs out on her. Anyway, so there is so much drama and no one in this book has a filter because they're murderers, obviously. They get wrapped up in the Yakuza, the, uh, the Japanese uh, kind of, uh, what am I saying, gangs? Mafia. Yes, mafia. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but it's very like Thelma and Louise, graveyard humor. Everyone says what they're thinking. Super violent, obviously. Crazy. Like Empire is crazy. But more violent, obviously, because there's a lot of death and chopping up of bodies, literal chopping up of bodies. Um, but I love it so much. It's so dark and weird and twisted. And all the women in this book are awesome. I mean, no, no, not awesome as in likable, but fascinating is probably a better way to put it. Some of them are really unlikable. Um, so yeah, so that's Out by Natsuo Carino, by, uh, by Natsuo Carino, translated by Steven Snyder. It's so good. <laughs> oh, that book. I love that book. I love it. Okay. Uh, it still gives me nightmares, though. <laughs> <laughs> really? I had a couple after reading it. Yeah, I did. I can, and then like, I think back and I'm like, ugh. Yeah, um, gross. I, although it has led me to, like, every time I walk into a bathroom now, the first thing oh I think, God. the first thing is, could I dismember a body here? Like, I, And I feel so weird that that's, like, the first thing that I think. I don't care whose bathroom I'm walking in. Like, is this large enough for me to chop up a body? The answer is almost never yes. But it's I, feel like this is, I feel like this is also a good comp for anybody who's, like, obsessed with Breaking Bad. Like, if okay. you are looking for, like, a book version of Breaking Bad, this is kind of it. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah, <laughs> Anyways. Gross. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. Um, so your request for queer horror was, I was, like, totally stumped. Um, and it sent me down in 
an interesting rabbit hole. So I, the first thing I'm going to recommend to you is actually an issue of Nightmare Magazine, which is a horror magazine, clearly. Um, and it was a special issue called Queers Destroy Horror. So it was an all-queer issue of horror stories that was funded... Um, as part of a Kickstarter campaign. I actually funded the Queers Destroy Science Fiction campaign, so I'm super excited about that one, but I didn't realize they had done a horror issue. Um, and the author list is really, really good. Like, Chuck Palahniuk's got a, a story in here. There's a story by Poppy Z. Bright, who Amanda's going to recommend in a second. Um, Caitlin Kiernan's got something in here. Like, there's a bunch of authors who I recognize who I was like, oh my god, I want a story about that. Um, and, uh, and so I think that this would satisfy that in a lot of different ways. Um, and I'm super excited to read it. Um, it looks like it came out in October of last year. So that is the Queers Destroy Horror issue of Nightmare Magazine, excuse me, um, which is issue 37. We'll drop a link in the show notes. You can see it right there. Okay, I dropped this question also, the queer horror question, uh, to the contributors. And I didn't write down who recommended this to me for you, but one of the contributors did, so there you go. Uh, it's Lost Souls by Poppy Zebright, um, like Jen said. And pretty much anything Poppy Zebright would probably work for this. But this is one of the books that she wanted, I think her first book she wrote when she was 19. And it is a how to describe fever dream of a weird southern vampire road trip with a lot of sex, written by... Oh my god, I have to read that immediately. <laughs> written by a 19-year-old. <laughs> so everything that you imagine when you think, like, when you were 19 and maybe, like, an alcoholic and a little um, out of your mind, like, what kind of vampire novel would you have written that had a lot of sex and 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 drugs? Um, so, yeah, so this place it takes place in North Carolina. It starts in a town called Missing Mile. Um, the children of the night gather, right? They're all, they all dress in black because they're vampires. Uh, there's one of the characters' name is Ghost. Uh, there's Anne, who's kind of like looking for love. Jason, whose real name is Nothing, which I think is such an interesting touch. Um, so three strangers wander into town. Their eyes are lime green, which is a great detail. Uh, they're vampires, obviously. They're looking for people to eat. Yes, because that's what vampires do. And they kind of team up with nothing and with Anne. And then they go on this road trip to New Orleans from North Carolina. Um, and they're chased by the character Ghost. Um who was trying to, like, save Anne from her vampire companions. Anyway, so while they're traveling, they sleep with each other, kill each other while sleeping with each other, resurrected, do a lot of drugs, just crazy exactly what it sounds like. Um, and it is a male-male, it's got a male-male romance element to it. Um, so that's Lost Souls by Poppy C. Bright. Godspeed with that one. <laughs> I'm excited to read that. Um, so my second, I mean, well, third suggestion for you is actually a list by Lambda Literary, which is uh, specifically organized around um, supporting queer fiction and nonfiction. Uh, so I, I trust them as a source for this. Um, they are the people who do the Lammies every year and the prizes. So anyway, they have a list of the six scariest queer horror books ever which I also am going to be adding to mm -hmm. my list. Um, and it has a Poppy Z. Bright book on it. It also has a book that I really want to read now uh, called Dust of Wonderland by Lee Thomas, which is uh, it's like it's a ghost story, but it's also a thriller, but it's also a psychological drama that takes place in New Orleans. You know, so many. Mm -hmm. So much New Orleans and Louisiana. Like, I yeah. get it. Like, it's swampy and it's humid and, like, there's all of this, like, decadence associated with it. But that's just really interesting. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. Uh, so this one, um, I'm really curious to read that one's Dust of Wonderland. But the whole list looks great. Uh, so I'm going to drop a link to that in the show notes. And it also has, oh, let the right one in. Right, I, I was going to say that. Right? I was like, oh, yeah, right, of course. That makes perfect sense now that I think about it. Um, that book is bonkers, you should read it. Uh, but so that list is from Lambda Literary, and it's six of the scariest queer horror books ever, and the link will be in the show notes. Let the Right One In does the creepy child trope, which is, like, Ugh. one of my favorite tropes in horror, because children are creepy. They are! They're, They're so like creepy. tiny psychopaths, because they don't know any they better have no for moral a little compass. while. One of the scariest moments, I have twins, they're identical, so a lot of the things that they do are creepy because they do them at the same time and in unison. But oh, I, was, I was downstairs in my my uh, town, no, my house um, when they were like three or four and their room was directly above the living room. And so they were singing into the air vent that came down <laughs> into um, the living room. They were supposed to be napping and they were singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star in unison into the air vent. And so it just like floated oh down. It was the creepiest moment <laughs> of my life. 
horrified. You, you could write a horror collection about your creepy I know. twins. Twins do terrifying things. Anyway, so my last <laughs> pick for you. This is from Danica, who's a contributor of ours who runs The Lesbrary, which is an awesome blog about lesbian literature and queer lit in general. Um, so her pick for you is The Gilda Stories by Jewel Gomez. And this has won two Lambda Literary Awards, one for fiction and one for science fiction. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about Gilda. It's short stories about Gilda. They take place over 200 years. So it, start, it starts in the 1850s. And then the last chapter um, takes place in 2050. And so she's a vampire, but uh, Gomez is kind of just using that as a vehicle for letting her live forever and exploring uh, the relationships that people have over time. So she uh, be- gets kind of inducted into a family of benevolent vampires, basically. And then she just goes on this adventure and there's like explorations of family and explorations of relationships and a subtle vein of terror that runs through the whole thing because obviously she has to kill people for blood. Um, so <laughs> this is like the vampire thing is sort of secondary here, but it is still scary. So it's not like, I don't know, literary horror. I don't even know what that is, but... Um, yeah, frightening. Um, so that's The Gilda Stories by Jewel L. Gomez. And I don't, it was published in 1991. Since it was like, it's from a Firebrand Books, which is a small press. I was trying to see if it's still in print, but I'm pretty sure it is. So yeah, anyway, The Gilda Stories by Jewel L. Gomez. We have time. We have time. Yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to make it to question six, which I'm super excited about. Go, go, go. Such a good question. Okay. So this question is from Eliza. She says, hi, I'm a huge romance fan and have convinced a friend who looks down on the genre to try one so she can see what they're all about. If you could pick only one book to introduce someone to the romance genre, what would it be? I did not follow instructions (laughs) because A, that's impossible. And B, there's different kinds of romances. So like depending on what this friend reads other times, I have different suggestions. Um, so I'm going to give my first one, uh, which is my Regency pick that's not Sarah McLean, because Amanda's <laughs> going to talk to you about Sarah McLean. Um, so my other go-to author is Courtney Millen. I love, 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 like cannot express enough how much I love her books. And the first one that I read by her is also the first one in her Turner series. It's called Unveiled. And it's about a man named Ash Turner who is, like, he's waited his entire adult life to get revenge on the man who ruined his family, and now he's going to get it. He's, like, made a name for himself and made a fortune. He's not nobly born, but, like, he is climbing the, the ladder, and he has, uh, he is taking over the, the dukedom of this old duke who ruined his family. Um, except, of course, he falls in love with this old horrible duke's daughter, and she like, ha- knows that she should hate him because he's stolen her fortune and her legacy and she's been ordered to spy on him by her father and there's, like, all of this, like, secret, like, she's posing as a nurse so that they won't know that that's who she is. Um, but she, so in the course of spying on him, starts to fall for him. And I love Margaret and Ash so much and the thing I love about Courtney Millen's heroes is that they are not, like, super alpha possessive, mm-hmm. like, I'm gonna claim you and make you my wife. Woman. Like, no, those are not the kind of men that she writes, which like I, I there's good alpha male stories, too. Um, but I love me the way that she has them be like like dudes who are kind of normal and like falling in love and trying to figure out how that works. And also Regency. So there's like ball gowns and, and, stuff. <laughs> and all of these secrets and dukes and whatnot. Um, so that is Unveiled by Courtney Mullen. Okay, I also did not follow our instructions. <laughs> it's impossible to pick one. So I've got the the one the first romance that I read that made me open to the genre, and then the one that I read that kind of cemented my love for it. So I have two. So my first one is by Sarah McLean. Uh, it's called One Good Earl Deserves a Lover. Her titles are so good, the best, so and good. Actually, when I saw this. I have, like, a weakness for puns. Puns are the highest form of humor, in my opinion. And so when I saw this title, I was like, I think I'm going to read this. I don't know about romance, but I'm going to read it. Um, And this is actually the the second book in her Rules of Scoundrels series, but obviously it was the first one that I read, and I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything. So I feel like you can read them out of order, and it doesn't matter. Um, So the heroine of this book is Lady Philippa Marbury. She's a weird kind of character for Regency England. She wears glasses for one thing. She's a brilliant scientist for another and kind of, and is super, super like socially awkward, but not in the shy way, just in a like doesn't understand how to interact with people without being nerdy and weird, which like just endears her to my heart so mm-hmm. thoroughly. Um, so she's engaged 
to, or about to be engaged rather, to a character named Lord Castleton. And she doesn't love him, but whatever. She wants her marriage to work and she wants to be a good wife and, and to kind of go in knowing what to expect. And so she decides that she's going to go to the Fallen Angel, which is London's kind of most notorious gambling center. Gambling hell is what they call it. <clears throat> gambling hole. And she's going to talk to Cross, who is uh, one of the, he's the bookkeeper of the Fallen Angel, who she's heard about through her social circle. And she's going to ask him to ruin her so that she knows what sex is like and can go into her marriage um, and not start it off on kind of like the wrong foot. And so she's doing her research. She's like approaching. It's like for science. Yeah. It's she's, actually for science. She's doing like scientific method stuff because none of her books, none of her anatomy books, none of the books that she owns tells her what to expect from sex or how to be good at it or what, um, what the experience is going to be like at all. So she's actually doing this for science and she approaches Cross because he's got a reputation and he runs a gambling hall. So of course he's going to say yes, whatever. What she does not know is that he cannot say yes to her because he's got his own kind of um, baggage from his past. Uh, but of course she's beautiful and weird and smart and he doesn't know what to do with her and he's never been confronted with a woman like that. So he wants to help her, but he doesn't want to help her. And what's he going to do? And ah, the tension. It's so good. It's so um, good. And also Cross is a redhead, which is cool. You oh, yeah, don't get a lot of redheads in romance. No, no. Uh, gingers. Uh, anyway, so the thing that... Man, this book has one of the hottest scenes in romance that oh. I have ever read still to this day that involves no touching. Yep. They never touch each other. And it's just, I had to put the book down. I had to go for a walk. <laughs> I had to, like, work it out. Because it is just so amazing. Sarah McQueen is genius. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm going to stop talking now. One good girl deserves a lover. <laughs> like oh, we're gonna give Amanda a moment. I'm getting a little uh, bit. So my second pick for you is if your friend is interested in science fiction fantasy, this is a paranormal romance. It's called Slave to Sensation by Nalini Singh, and it is the first book in her Psy Changeling series. I love it. Which I am just in love with because the world building is so great. Like Regency romances, like they're historical, right? Like the world is already there. Nalini Singh, this is a like a world in which there's three different races. There's the Psy, who have, like, psychic powers, right? Get it? And then there's humans, and then there's the shifters, the changelings, um, who turn into animals. There's, like, were-panthers and were-jaguars and werewolves, and all the, there's all different kinds. Um, and so, in this first book, Sasha, Duncan... Oh, but the Psy aren't allowed to have feelings. Like, they've perfected, quote-unquote, perfected themselves to the point where they have no emotions. They're just, like, kind of, like, all creatures of intelligence only, or so they think. Um, and Sasha, who is a Psy, who is working on, in her mother's business, um, she knows that she's not doing it right. Um, but she's been concealing her feelings for a really long time. Um, she doesn't want to be, quote-unquote, rehabilitated, which is what happens if the other Psy find out that you actually have feelings. Um, and she doesn't even think she's that powerful. Like, her powers are not that interesting. She's just kind of trying to make her life work. And then she encounters Lucas Hunter, who is the head of a were jaguar panther pack um who like and they're like very sensual right they turn into animals like they're very like into touch and sharing and you know how they embrace their feelings uh because primal etc etc <laughs> these men are like the possessive claiming types spoiler alert um and lucas finds himself weirdly drawn to Sasha and she's like trying to pretend that she has no emotions in the meantime that she's drawn to him and then in the meantime there is a serial killer on the loose so <laughs> this is like part murder mystery part paranormal and I love Singh's pacing um and the way that she like the way that Sasha and Lucas like are kind of circling each other like he's very much like viewing her a little bit as prey and she's very strong-willed um obviously because she's been hiding these feelings that she has from the rest of Psy, which is no small feat. And so the way that they interact is just fantastic. And it's the start of like, a, I don't know, the book 18, I think, is coming out soon. And the world is just so much fun. I love it so much. So that is Slave to Sensation by Nalini Singh. Co-signed. I love oh, that It's so I good. Love it. I can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give Jen a minute. Okay. So my second pick for you is Lord of Scoundrels by Loretta Chase. And this is the book that made me like cemented my love for romance. It is so great. It's kind of a classic of the genre. Um, and it is also the third in a series, but I haven't read any of the other books in the series, so I don't, I don't think it's, you know, again, you read it, whatever, what do you want? So the heroine of the, this is a Regency, the heroine is named Jessica Trent, and she has a problem. And her problem is that her brother, who is not the brightest, 
bulb in the drawer is kind of caught up in the social circle of the Marquess of Dane, whose name is Sebastian. And um, Sebastian is a rogue in the best tradition of romance rogues. And he's a gambler and he is a womanizer and he's just has no like respect for um, social norms and manners. And her brother is uh, following his lead and is getting into debt and doing all of these idiotic things. And so she decides she's going to free her brother from the arrogant cad who is Dane. Of course she meets Dane and it doesn't go that way. Um, She (laughs) falls for him. He falls for her, this sort of thing, but they drive each other crazy, which is a trope that I really like in romance where like they hate each other, but they love each other, but they hate each other. Um, And so they, uh, her, her way of like freeing her brother is to push all of Dane's buttons until he gets so irritated with her that he kind that he gives in. But Dane is this, really uh, intimidating character and everybody like does what he says. No, he's really like strong willed and very has a horrible temper and he's kind of savage and no one ever defies him. But then Jessica is like not having it. Like she does not care. At one point she gets so irritated at him that she shoots him (laughs) as you do um, in the arm, I think. And eventually they get married because of how much they, they've, like, drove each other. They've pushed each other so far that they put themselves into, like, this really scandalous, compromising position. And they both, to save themselves and each other, they have to get married. But they don't like each other. Anyway, so the characterization is what really gets me in this book. And I really love how, you know, in a lot of romance, and I'm not saying this is a criticism because I enjoy this also. But in a lot of romance, that the roguish type A alpha guy, like, sweeps the woman off her feet and she's, like, you know, powerless before him and that kind of thing. And there's, that's awesome and there's a place for that. But in this, Jessica, like, kind of laughs at it. Like, he comes down with his brooding, stormy, whatever temper and she's like, pat, pat, you know? <laughs> like, that's cute, honey. Um, and it's just, I had never encountered that sort of uh, relationship, not just in romance, because I was pretty new to the genre when I read it, but in literature anywhere. And I just thought it was so charming and cute. Um, and the char- the reasons that Dane is the way that he is are uh, really fascinating. There's a lot of interesting psychology happening here. So that's The Lord of Scoundrels by Loretta Chase. It's awesome. All right. My last pick, which I'll do real quick, was recommended to me by Sarah McLean. Uh, it's it's a contemporary, so real world, real life situations, quote unquote real world anyway. Yeah. Um, it's called Nobody's Baby But Mine by Susan Elizabeth Phillips. It's actually the third in her Chicago Star series, but I've never read any of the other ones. It's fine. Uh, the, <laughs> the heroine is a genius physics professor, Jane, who really wants a baby. Um, but the thing that she's afraid of is that she suffered from being too smart. Like, she had a really awkward childhood. Her parents were not warm. She never felt like she found her place. And she just, she's she wants a baby, but she doesn't want the baby to go through what she did. So she decides that she's going to find somebody stupid to sleep with and <laughs> hope that she gets pregnant. And then, so she gets herself smuggled into the room of a quarterback, Cal Bonner, who is the Chicago Stars, whatever, QB. And because she figures, like, football players, they're just, like, dumb jocks, right? And so she basically tricks him into having sex with her. Uh, She's, like, trying to pretend to be a call girl. It is hilariously awkward. Um... She tricks him into having sex with her and then is getting pregnant and he finds out that she gets pregnant and Cal is actually not dumb. (laughs) He's actually really smart um, but he's been playing sort of dumb for the cameras because it's like whatever, it's football and it's good for the team and it's good for his image and he just doesn't care. Uh, And so then, but he's, and he's furious that she tricked him into impregnating her and so he tracks her down and wants to have a role in the baby's life while being mad at her. Like if you love that, like, oh I hate you but I'm into you, but I hate you. Like, this is really good. Yes, and then their favorite. whole extended family, their whole, well, his family gets involved. And, like, the grandmother character, I can't even, like, she's got a <laughs> rifle in one scene and they're, like, hiding out in, like, a like a vacation cabin. It just gets so crazy pants in such a delightful way. Susan Elizabeth Phillips is, like, a master of the genre. Any, like, really, you should read her. But Nobody's Baby About Mine is my favorite because it's just so bonkers, but she makes it work. Excellent. That's it. Okay. And that's it. We did it. Yay. A little <laughs> over time, but that's okay. It's worth it. Sorry. We had to talk about question six. No, we, we both recommended a three for more than one, which is not what we usually do. Okay. So that's our show. Um, rate us on iTunes. Please send, leave a review if you like it or if you don't like it. We take any and all reviews. Thank you so much. You can find us on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen is at Jen IRL, but will not be there in May. So don't talk to her in May. And thank you so much to our sponsors, The Killing Forest by Sarah Bladell and Girl at Midnight and The Shadow Hour by Melissa Gray and we will see y'all next week.